Hello, hello, and welcome back to a life extraordinary. Indeed, welcome back to a brand new year. Hopefully 2022 will not have the tricks up its sleeve that uh, 2020, 2021 had with us. Because uh, 2021, you were something to be left behind. That being said, uh, we, like many others, experienced wonderful things during 2021. In my case, having a new baby and spending more time at home and in the area that we so love for many people that uh, that used to only exclusively work from the office. 2021 was a year for them to get closer to home and perhaps have more of a work-life balance in that regard. That being said, many people didn't even have work. So 2021, let's leave you behind and start afresh. The new year is obviously a time for looking forward to new adventures making uh, new ideas that we're going to do, um, putting those ideas into action so that the adventures do indeed happen. And, uh, and so I wanted to, to share with you guys what I think are the best adventure sports to learn in 2022. Indeed, uh, our favorite thing to do is a combination of uh, exploring nature and wilderness combined with physical activity, and sport. And, uh, and that combination is what I believe to be the key to my happiness. Um, and I think indeed that activity is the key to happiness. You know, the more we do, the more we move, the more we create, often even the more we work. Uh, in some ways, the happier we are. It releases endorphins to do activity, in particular to do uh, physical activity and physical sport. So with good reason, it also makes us happier and not to mention that it's extremely enjoyable. So here's a few of the different reasons uh, why I believe you should put into your bucket list one of these sports. Um, the important thing about these sports is, uh, for many of them, you'll say, well, that, that seems so daunting. But I'm going to step out the different levels at which you enter a sport. And that way you don't find it so difficult. Um, we didn't start being big water sea kayakers uh, on day one. Uh, we didn't start uh, camping in the deep wilderness uh, on day one as well. Um, so, so a lot of these, all of these sports, you know, there are small steps taken and there are bigger steps taken. But the important is to take the important thing is to take some steps, and then uh, and then you'll really get an essence of it. Now, for myself, if the recreational activity challenges me while I'm simultaneously immersed in the outdoors, that is my definition of a fantastic adventure sport to do in 2022. And I haven't learned any new sports recently uh, or outdoor activities, uh, although that's not true. I'm getting into e-biking, and that is a new sport because it is a totally different ball game. So, so I, I am enjoying learning that and evolving into that sport right now. But... Um, but it's been a while before that one. And uh, I think the last one that I learned as an adult was kite surfing. And that's, we're going on about seven or eight years now that I've learned, learned to kite. And it is hands down one of our favorite sports. Now, doing activities and learning physical activities and doing adventure sports is a great thing for a pandemic because many people obviously can't travel internationally as they normally would. And so being able to uh, get outdoors, get on your bike, uh, go camping to your local backcountry spots, um, 
and, and things like that are great for a pandemic, uh, particularly when you can't travel internationally. Um, most of the activities and sports that I did are self-taught because A, I was learning them very young and didn't have the funds to, to spend money on teaching, uh, on, on paying to, to be taught the sport. And, uh, and it's just simply been my character as well. I've also been quite athletic for, for, you know, since I was about 14 or so. So that gave a lot of facility into learning, uh, these new sports. But a few of the other things that I'm going to go through is uh, give you the equipment lowdown on what you need. You know, a lot of people have no idea what it's, what's required to start to kite surf or, or to start doing sea kayaking trips uh, or day kayak trips. So I'll, I'll outline what the, what the things you need are. And of course, tell you um, my favorite locations for learning uh, and doing those sports. Of course, for pretty much all of these sports, there's spots all over the world that you can do them. But I share with you the knowledge that's, that I have of, of those spots and those sports. So, uh, so here we go. All right. Also some activities. Uh, I'll also let you know on which of these sports are great to do solo, which is great to do with friend or partner, and, uh, and which one of them is great to do with the kids. Now, the global adventure tourism market has grown to like half a billion dollars in 2020. So that's, uh, Actually, that's half a trillion dollars. <laughs> so, so it's a massive, massive industry because, um, as someone post that I was reading the other day so clearly stated, uh, it's great to have routine and it's important to have responsibilities. But uh, to break away from that and do the things that we love and the passions that propel us, uh, that is truly living. So uh, shout out to my buddy Daniel who was writing about that the other day. So I'm going to kick it off with kite surfing, kiteboarding. So what's the difference between the two? It's actually just when kite surfing is normally when you're going on waves and you're using a surfboard. Um, basically, the concept behind it being that uh, you're surfing the wave at the same time as you're kiting. Whereas kiteboarding, you tend to be in uh, looking less for waves and, and your board is a different shape as well. It's a twin tip. Uh, whereas kite surfing is more uh, when you have a longer, uh, a, like a surfboard, uh, basically. And that's just the big differentiator there. So most people learn to kiteboard before they're technically kite surfing. Um, one of my favorite things to do is kite surf strapless. And uh, it's a very liberating feeling to just be on your board, no straps, flying over the water uh, on this pointy tip. And, it, and then when you let your kite loose and you're on top of a wave, the wave just propels you forward and you just surf it as you would if you were uh, just a regular surfer. The cool thing there is the moment that you're about to fall or the wave's going to catch you or you're losing stability, and then you just whip your kite up and uh, fly away, as they say, or fly forward from, from the wave. So that's the difference between kiteboarding and kite surfing. Um, this sport, what does it entail? It entails you have a board on your feet. You've got two straps that you put your feet in. Uh, you could also be having boots, which is when you're more experienced so that your feet don't come out of the straps. Um, and so you're able to do bigger tricks and whatnot. Um, you'll also have a harness that goes around your waist and that has a hook on it. This is what hooks onto the lines and the bar that, that go out to a giant kite. And the kite sizes are different based on your weight and the different wind speeds that you're going uh, experiencing. So I tend to have a vast variety of, of kite sizes. I have an eight meter, a 10 meter, a 12 meter, 
Um, and I have all these different sizes of kites as well to use. Um, then uh, <laughs> my little daughter knocking at the door, doing everything she can to get in. Terrible. Um, so if you want to learn this sport, uh, I highly, highly recommend going to this archipelago of islands in the Caribbean Ocean called Turks and Caicos Islands. And uh, this is where we learn to kite because you've got long, white, sandy beaches as far as the eye can see. Um, you have knee-deep to chest-deep water for a kilometer plus out. And so what that makes it is makes it very easy to simply stand up when you're learning to kite, whereas in most other destinations, you have to learn in water where your feet can't touch the bottom, and therefore you have to learn a skill called body dragging before you can actually learn to kite, because otherwise that's the core basic of getting back to your kite. But when we were learning, because we were in Turks and Caicos, body dragging was not very necessary to learn because we could just stand up in the shallow waters. And this makes it makes the learning curve go a lot quicker as well. Um, that being said, a few months later when we were in Mexico, we had to uh, practice our body surfing quite significantly. And, uh, and body surfing, basically what happens is as the wind's pushing you for, forward, your board can come off your feet and it'll, and the wind and your kite will continue to pull you uh, ahead, which leaves your board behind you. So like a sailboat, you have to put your body in the water at an angle to be able to zigzag as you would a sailboat back up to your board. Now take into account that you have, if you're kiting an onshore wind, the wind is also pushing the board towards the shore and therefore towards you. But sometimes this ordeal of getting back to your board can be quite exhausting, if I might say. Um, use in, in, once you're an experienced kiter, it's, it's quite easy. But when you're not, uh, then learning to body drag can be a little bit trickier. But again, uh, it's really not that hard. I think one of the important things that I want to emphasize about kite surfing is that anybody could learn it. Like you see Richard Branson when he was 75 or what, or whatever age he was with a naked woman uh, hanging onto his back uh, kite surfing in the Bahamas, I think it was, or in the Caribbean somewhere. And, um, and it's really a sport that you look at as, as if it's on a pedestal, but it's a lot easier than you imagine it to be. Um, it's, I like to tell people that it's like riding a bicycle. Once you get the hang of it, then, uh, then you're all good to go. Uh, and and it, every time you get on, it's pretty much the same. Now, they, there are a lot of people that talk about, well, I've heard about like kite, kite mares and, uh, and terrible accidents. And, and in the early stages of learning, when you still don't know how to handle your kite, there are situations, and I've gotten into a few in the early days as well, where the kite can drag you. And the, the most dangerous place for a kite to drag you is on the beach because... Obviously, if you're being dragged along sand or rocks uh, or into a tree, it's very different than being uh, pulled along the water. So I like to tell people that when you're learning to kite, uh, basically try and get out as on the water as soon as you can and spend as little time on shore as possible because that's where the accidents tend to happen. Now, it is a sport that we taught ourselves. But I would recommend there is an outfitter called Big Blue Unlimited in Turks and Caicos. And you just tell them, sent by the expeditioners. Um, and they are a fantastic, fantastic kite school. Um, they do kite safaris. I'll get into that. That's one of my favorite things about kiting is doing a kite safari where you boat up uh, upwind, uh, upwind for maybe 10 or 15 kilometers. And then you kite a downwinder, which basically means... 
you're kiting those same kilometers, but with the wind and without having to cut back up the water. And it's kind of like a, a kite expedition in a way. And it's definitely uh, one of my favorite aspects of kiting. That and kiting in waves and surfing them, I think, are my two two favorite things. Foiling is something I'm, I'm keen on getting into. But in the last two years with the pandemic, well, this is the first time that I'm back at the beach and back, uh, although I'm not in a destination that is for kiting, unfortunately. Um, it does look like there might be wind here in, uh, in the next couple of days. So I might rent some gear and kick out there. Um, Turks and Caicos, definitely one of the coolest spots, like I mentioned. Uh, other, this kite boarding school, Big Blue, they use uh, exclusively Nash gear, Naish gear, and he's one of the pioneers of kite surfing and kiteboarding. And uh, and I think um, I would highly recommend using his his gear. I like a kite in particular. My twelve is called the Pivot, and it's a twelve meter kite. So twelve meters is how many meters the kite is, obviously. Um, and you have different meter sizes. So you have eight, anything from five meters all the way up to fifteen meters. And the bigger the kite, the lighter the wind that you can ride. And when you have a partner that's also learning the sport and that happens to be a different weight than you, like my lady is a good 50 pound, 60 pound, easily difference than, than me, uh, 40 pound difference than me. So that allows us to, t- to never need the same kite. That way, if I need uh, a 12, then she'll need the 10 uh, or the 11. And so we're always able to share equipment. And this is important because kite surfing is quite an expensive sport, I might say. Um, to give you an idea, you need to get your harness. That's about, f- if you're getting everything brand spanking new of the year. So your harness is 500 bucks, your lines are 500. Uh, your kite, it could be one kite is anywhere from 1500 to 2500. Uh, your board is between 800 and 1200. Um, and so just that if a harness lines kite and board is 3600 and in our case we have six different kites that we use and on top of that we've got three different boards because the boards are for different uh conditions like i have a surfboard that i use in waves and conditions like that and i've also got a twin tip and then my wife has a twin tip but hers is smaller and fortunately though we are able to to share our gear in the early days in particular because of the weight difference. But over the years, she decided to go for the women's line of kites because they have uh, less aggressivity. They're less aggressive when it comes to how the kites handle themselves. Um, also, her bar, which is basically her control mechanism of the kite, doesn't get thrown as far away from her um, on her kite than it does on mine. So. In the end, we don't share that much gear now, but we used to for about five or six years. So you're looking at about 3600 bucks just to get uh, the basics. Now, a lot of people, what they'll do is you go to a kite local kite shop and you say, hey, I'm looking to buy uh, used everything. And considering that in your early days, you'll be crashing your kite a lot, and that can be quite expensive, to, particularly if it's a bad tear. But most repairs are fixable. Um, you don't want to have something that's too, too pricey or expensive. So... Go to the kite shop and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to get some gear. I'd love to uh, to get into kiting. And, the, and oftentimes you'll find a kit for like 1200 bucks, a used harness, used lines, kite uh, and a board. So uh, even I've sold some old gear before because, of course, when you love a sport, you, you like to upgrade. Um, the mo- what makes me tell you that, you know, 
kiting should be on your bucket list for 2022? Well, some of my favorite experiences while practicing a sport while in nature come from kiting. There was this one time we're at East Bay Resort in Turks and Caicos, and this is a remote island um, away from Principal Providencialis, and it's got, we have a full moon on a bay, East Bay, which is uh, protected by a reef, and the full moon was so bright that the sand under the water was glowing white. And, uh, and our, our friends, we were there, a group of friends there, we decided to go for a full moon kiting session. And it was spectacular. Now, all of us were quite experienced uh, riders. I don't recommend anybody going out uh, on a kite at night if they're just beginning or getting into the sport because many things can go wrong. Indeed, that night when I set up my kite, I wasn't using any of my lights, so I forgot to set up one line uh, because I was too excited to get out on the water. And, uh, and, I had to, and my kite was a big mess when I tried to launch and I had to do it all over again uh, because uh, I hadn't done it right the first time. And it, it dragged me a little bit on the beach. I was quite annoyed, but, uh, but I was totally fine. And then I reset up my next kite. And then I put a glow stick on the harness of my lady so that when we were out on the water, I would go deeper and I could see where her glow stick was. And that way, in case she needed anything, uh, I knew where which of the kiters out on the water uh, she was. And we were a decent group of, I think we were six or seven of us out on the water, and, uh, and you've got to be very careful not to cross your lines with another kite in the dark. But the experience was magical to be flying over this white reflecting. It's like emeralds of green reflecting white of the moon and uh, stingrays and eagle spotted rays swimming beneath us as you as you whip across the water. A few of them even jumping out uh, a surreal experience that uh, that I hope to relive uh, again one day another time. I decided to go with this guy uh, in Cancun, and we were, if anybody knows that area, we were in the hotel strip on the peninsula, and we were going to do a downwind of about 10 kilometers. But at the time, I wasn't as experienced as, as uh, my full moon experience, for example, and uh, it was still in my earlier days, but I went out on the water, and it was monstrous waves, monstrous, monstrous, monstrous waves. They were like mountains moving. My lady clearly decided a bad idea for her to go, so she stayed. And, uh, and there were so many sets of crashing waves that I just went out into the deep ocean as far as I could to get away from them, only to realize I was amongst these mountains that were just moving around quite, quite intensely. And I ended up doing the 10 kilometers uh, uh, kite, kite session down, downwind, and I thought my lady was on the shore. And by that time, I had gotten quite comfortable, and I started to do some jumps and on one of the jumps, my board whipped off. And because I was too down from it, I couldn't see it. And I was in a section where the waves were crashing. And so everything became a tangle. And the waves started to pull me out and in and out. But because I was still attached to my harness, uh, it started to pull me down. And I was basically drowning. And because I was so far away from shore, I couldn't touch. And it was what we call a kite mare. Um, and so gradually, uh, one wave hit me, another wave hit me, and, and you're gasping for air. And then I did my first emergency release where I, that loosens out all the lines, giving me some slack and not getting pulled as much. But then um, the waves were still catching the kite and bringing me down into the water. So it was quite scary uh, and, and something I don't wish on anybody for sure. And after the 15th uh, wave had hit me and I just can't breathe anymore, 
that's when I, I said, you know what? I think, I think this is my checkout. I think uh, this is done for me. I was drowning in, in essence. And, uh, and on the, the next wave, I just felt my toe just touch the sand just a little bit. Um, and ga- it gave me hope. And there were people on the beach pointing at me and yelling to go left, to go left, because I was in the riptide. It, was, it kept pushing me in and then pulling me out. Um, so it was, it was quite intense, and I, but I had made it. I'd released both emergencies, and I made it to shore, only to realize, of course, that it hadn't been my lady on the beach. She actually hadn't arrived yet. So she had no idea of my ordeal until she actually got there. So that story is not to scare you. That's to say it's a sport that you have to respect the ocean, um, as, and particularly uh, when you're in big, big waves and decide when's the right time to go. Another kite mirror is when I when I was uh, hit by a squall and the, I was just bouncing along as the kite just flew and I was just bouncing back. It was anyways quite intense. But I'll leave the kite mirror stories. Truly, I don't want to put you off from kiting. I want you to uh, get into it. So the gear is a little bit expensive, but it's well worth it. And I think the only other annoying thing, uh, in a way, it's kind of like uh, skiing and powder. Um, if there's no wind, there's no kiting. And if there's light wind, sure, you can get out for a spin, but it's not nearly as fun as if the wind is ripping. And a lot of people uh, travel to destinations specifically to kite, and they're there for a week, and sometimes there's only a day of wind that's kiteable, and the rest of the time you're just sitting there on the beach just staring out to sea, trying to will the wind into existence, Um, which is one of the reasons that we like uh, to go to destinations for longer periods of time. Indeed, my lady keeps berating me, asking, how much time are we going to spend in Turks and Caicos this year? (laughs) Which we hope to. We hope to, definitely. Um, The next uh, activity, I think I've spoken about this before, is canoe tripping. It's what got us into uh, becoming the expeditioners and adventure travelers. Uh, It's a a sport that allows you uh, to do a circuit. And what that means is you say you do a loop of uh, 10 or 15 kilometers and the first ones could be small like that and then you could do lerps loops uh, lerps <laughs> uh, you could do loops that are much longer oh i've got a collar let's see what bucket list adventure sports shireen would recommend hello shireen is she calling in here let's see hello hello oh i can't hear you let's try this again and hello, Shereen. There we go. There we hello. go. Hello. So what bucket list adventure sports do you love? I love kite surfing, like you mentioned. Um, I like mountain biking, skiing, canoe tripping as well, kayaking. Um, I pretty much like everything, but I think my favorite one would be kite surfing and skiing. So being that a lot of women look at kiting as a sport that would seem like a bit too difficult for them to get into, what would you tell them uh, about the possibility of doing it? To not give up. It looks scary. It's intimidating. But if you push through the first week, then you're in for a lifetime of fun adventures. Yeah. And, uh, and um, where's your favorite spot to kite? Turks and Caicos, I like warm water. I like um, calm water. I like both. I like the calm waters and I like the more choppy one and the waves as well. But Turks and Caicos is a paradise. 
in many aspects for the sports, also the um, lifestyle on the island and the access to the beach when you have a family is pretty simple. Uh, and I was about to talk about canoe tripping as an activity that people should do in 2022. What do you think of that for as a family activity? It's uh, definitely become our favorite activity with the kids. We can take a lot of gear. It's safe. And it gets us to many beautiful places uh, in Canada, especially. And now we started canoe tripping in BC and uh, we're discovering more lakes. And how, uh, how do you sleep in a tent with the baby? I sleep with Ariella with me in my sleeping bag. Yeah. Mikio has his own sleeping bag and uh, Catalina as well. So we all sleep in the same tent. Right. And uh, in, your, uh, in your trajectory of becoming a skier, um, what was your trajectory? Uh, like, would you recommend to people to do the, the avalanche course that you just did to get into backcountry skiing before they jump into the backcountry? Uh, it will definitely make them more confident. It's always good to have more knowledge when you're heading into uh, a new sport. Um, and the avalanche course opened up more doors and made me feel safer out there, uh, more knowledgeable. And, um, yeah, well, don't wait too long. Uh, get your gear ready. Uh, it's expensive, but it's a great investment that will last you for a lifetime. And uh, head out there. Choose and a good group of friends and how start hard slowly. Can, how hard can the uphill be when you're bringing all your camping gear? <laughs> I think I've said it before to you. I think it's one of the most difficult activities I've ever done in backcountry skiing. <laughs> so you're telling people, gear. get into this sport in 2022, but I forgot to tell you about the brutal part of going up. Well, especially with all the gear we take. I think if we had a lighter pack, um, it wouldn't be as challenging, but with the weight and um, the amount of gear we take and food, definitely it makes it a heavier load. Very good. Well, thank you for calling in with your opinions on backcountry sports, and hopefully we can get out kite surfing uh, sooner than later. Sure. Hopefully tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed that the wind kicks up. All right. Thank you for calling in, Shireen. Really appreciate that. Um, so I was going on about the backcountry skiing, so let me jump to that. And what she was saying for the gears, we tend to take loads that are much bigger than ordinary. Um, and that includes three cameras and extra sleep, not extra sleeping bag, but maybe extra booties and really good food. And so it makes the uphill uh, quite, quite uh, grueling. But when we're at camp and we're having fantastic sausage with a glass of wine, um, it is quite uh, spectacular. Now that's also a sport that can be quite expensive and a few of the things that you'll need for backcountry skiing include uh, backcountry skis and what that means is that you have the type of skis that have a binding that allows you to go uphill. So this binding lifts up from the ski and back down when you're going uphill so that you can have that uh, walking movement. Um, you'll also need skins which are often made out of uh, seal hair, seal fur. And basically, if you can imagine 
seal fur strip the size, the length of your ski that you slap onto the bottom of your ski and the fur is on the outside, then as the hairs on the fur are flattened and you're going forward, it doesn't create any friction. But the moment your ski moves back a little bit, it creates friction of those hairs. Now, there's also synthetic skins, but I'm a big believer uh, in the mohair skins. They just tend to be much more reliable, in my opinion. Um, you'll also need uh, backcountry poles are, are really great because when they're adjustable and the type of terrain, whether you're walking, ski, skinning up or going down, allows you to adjust from a longer to a shorter pole. You'll need a probe. That's in case there's an avalanche and you have to look for a friend that's been buried. You'll need a shovel in order to dig them out. And of course, you'll need a transceiver, which is the device that we use that we have strapped. It's an electric device that we have strapped on our chest that basically has a send and receive signal. And what that does is that it becomes uh, kind of like a, uh, what, what are those metal uh, finding machines? Um, magnetic metal hunters, basically. And it goes beep, 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 beep. The, the closer you're getting to the person, the, the higher the beeps. And it shows you, oh, you're within X distance. You'll also need a backcountry backpack, uh, goggles, um, helmet is, is great when you're going trees and downhill or downhill in particular, but I don't tend to wear my helmet much when I'm backcountry skiing simply because it's a lot of weight and, um, although in an avalanche, it helps protect your head uh, as well, of course, but it's also, it gets really hot. <laughs> so, uh, you're looking at about 30, I think I've done the math here is about $3,600 or so for having all of the backcountry ski gear. Um, that you would need for an adventure. Um, another uh, of the, but but the oh, and the course, yeah, you're looking about thirty-five hundred, and the course is about uh, two hundred bucks or so, one hundred twenty-five to two hundred bucks. And I definitely highly recommend it for people to understand snowpack, uh, where avalanches tend to happen uh, at most, and and what how you can safely. Uh, go out into this terrain. To give you an idea, so many people do die from uh, avalanche accidents in the backcountry. That is the only uh, insurance that I wasn't able to get. So I cannot die if I'm doing backcountry skiing. Small note. Very important note. <laughs> um, another sport that I wanted to tell you, uh, when I started to speak about the canoe tripping, and that's a great sport for, for family trips and adventure family trips because you can take a lot of gear, even for your partner in the early days before you have kids, uh, you can take a big load and you can still get away from the typical car park uh, or car camping. And I find this very important because you get an essence of the outdoors when you're camped on a tiny little island and there's no nobody on the entire lake in a, in a reserve and you've got the loon calling uh, on the lake and it's absolutely divine. So uh, so the type of thing you'll need for a canoe trip is a canoe, for one. But this you can often rent from an REI or a mech store. And you can even rent tents and sleeping bags and all that other gear. But you'll need tent, sleeping bags, sleeping mattress, uh, canoe, cooking equipment, uh, water purification system, uh, which can either be tablets or a pump system, and then uh, life jacket, uh, headlamp, and so you need a few things when it comes, because it's a mix of canoeing and camping. So it's not just needing the canoe equipment, but the camping equipment as well. But if you're just getting into the sport, one of the ways to do is, is to rent all the equipment from a local outdoor shop 
And that way uh, you can get uh, the essence of the sport. Because if you don't take the right equipment, oftentimes you'll have a miserable time. And this is what makes people get shunned away from doing these, uh, these adventure sports. Um, in our case, we got into sea kayak camping, um, sea kayak camping after as a natural uh, development from, uh, from canoe tripping. And um, one of the things here is that sea kayaking, obviously the kayaks tend to be less stable than a canoe. Um, it's a whole different ballgame when it comes to uh, paddling and paddling in waves. But there's a very easy way to get into the sport of kayaking in the, in the right easy steps. And what I recommend by that is there's a brand called Pelican Kayaks. And they make recreational kayaks that's for you to go out and spend the day on the water without being on an expedition. And these kayaks have extremely comfortable seats. They're anywhere from 10 to 12 feet long. Um, they, they, you don't necessarily put a, uh, wear a skirt, which is uh, the cover that goes over the cockpit so that you don't get water on you, um, because they're meant for smaller lakes and lakes in general and for day, days out on the water. So it's just a day, not two, three, four, five days. And this is a great stepping stone into getting into kayak and understanding how to turn your boat, how to go left uh, and right and how, how to manage waves and how to be more comfortable in different scenarios. As you get better, you can change up the type of kayak you have. Also, being that you're just jumping into the sport, you're, <coughs> excuse me, that you're also able to see that, um, that you, the, the kayaks aren't expensive. So they're like $399 US for, for a kayak. You got the 100X or the 100XE. They're great for people that want to do fishing as well because they're very, very stable kayaks. Now, this once you've gotten into your day tripping and you've been out on the water a few times, really enjoying yourself and getting the handle of kayaking and you want to take it up the next level, you can get into uh, what's called wreck touring boats. And these kayaks are about 16 feet long to 14 feet long. And, and they're basically kayaks that are meant for a one night camping trip because that's all that the kayak will take. They're still pretty wide, but a little bit more narrow than the, than the last uh, 12 or 13 foot kayaks or 10, 10, 12 or 13 foot kayaks. And, um, and that's your, your next level uh, of kayaking. They're a bit faster in the boats, a little bit more unstable. Now, the next step is the magic one in my eyes, because this is when you truly want to become an expedition sea kayaker. And if you can get to that level uh, in 2022, I tip my hat to you and we'll go for a paddle because it is wonderful. And um, so I have uh, 17 foot long boats. I've got actually two new kayaks coming on the way from Wilderness Systems. Uh, really excited to receive those kayaks. They're expedition boats and touring boats. Um, now, these kayaks will, will put you back about $2,400 uh, Canadian, so about uh, 1800 US to, to 2000 US plus, plus tax. Um, so it's a big jump from the day kayaks, but it's a, it's a completely different boat. And they're a lot less stable. They're a lot more narrow. They go a lot faster. They take a bigger payload. Uh, and truly, you know, being in a sea kayak in, in choppy waves uh, is, is tantamount to like feeling that you have full control of a nice car versus uh, having a big truck in, in the wrong conditions. Terrible analogy, but <laughs> basically in a sea kayak, I'm often more comfortable 
uh, hitting and going, cutting through waves than a fishing boat next to me would be in the same waves because they are, they are made to be in the sea and in the ocean. And you've got a skirt that covers your entire cockpit. You've got uh, skeg boats uh, or you have rudder boats. The difference is on a skeg boat, which is my preference, um, you have a skeg, which is a, a piece that comes down uh, from, from your kayak in the back straight down. And what this does is it keeps your tack in the water very straight, your line is very straight in the water. Now, other people like to use rudders, and instead of having just a straight rudder that comes up or down, uh, a rudder actually, by definition, would actually turns, whereas the skeg doesn't turn. And, uh, and the rudder you control with your feet with the pedals that are inside of your kayak. So you'll push left to go left, right to go right. I prefer uh, being using a skeg boat, just it's just the type of sea kayak that I've all, always used. And, uh, and habituated to it. And also the, the rudders tend to break a lot just in handling the boats out of the water. Um, but in, uh, in some big uh, ocean conditions or rough waters, the rudder can be a delight because uh, you just point your, your rudder in the direction that you want to go and you don't have to be battling the waves and adjusting with your paddle stroke as much as you would uh, the other way. So you can start off with a, a Pelican 100X if you want to get into kayaking, about 399 US. And then if you make it all the way to, to truly wanting to get into expeditions, then you go into your wilderness systems, uh, 17, 18 foot long boats uh, that, that really are one of the favorite activities that I've been doing for the last 24 years. <laughs> Wow, life flies by. I have lots of kayaks. Um, I have recreational ones for the day that we use for our kids' camp as well and for the kids. Oh, another neat thing. Um, Pelican makes a super cool uh, kayak called the Solo Kayak for kids. And my five-year-old and my three-year-old now are, take them out. And they are delighted with them. And you can actually even order them online and they're delivered by mail. So... Great way to get your kids into kayaking. Uh, with my littlest one, well, my, not my littlest one anymore. She's my middle one now. I tie a rope to her kayak uh, and then I put it out on the water on a, on a small lake and she goes around doing her thing. She's, a, she's got her life jacket on and everything. And then whenever uh, she needs help or wants to come back in, I just pull the, <laughs> pull the rope back in. Uh, we did that on Vancouver Island this year and that was great. And my five-year-old uh, is able to, to control his solo kayak uh, just dandy. So these are just, you know, a few of the sports. Now, um, if you're just tipping your toe into the kayaking world, you can also rent them from places like Mech and REI, I believe. Um, and then, or, or simply kayak uh, companies that sell kayaks or kayak outfitters. And then, uh, and then if you want to go on a kayak expedition, um, that's a different world. But I will be guiding some, hopefully this summer, uh, to the Discovery uh, Discovery Islands, I, I believe, is the, is the idea. We'll see. Um, so you can always reach out to me about that. But uh, I hope you liked my little list. I had even more sports to share to, to you about what you could uh, learn in 2022, but I will keep that for another episode because, indeed, uh, adventure sports is something that I could talk on and on and on about. So I leave you with kite surfing, backcountry skiing, um, sea kayaking, kayak camping as the sports to begin with. Uh, oh, and canoe tripping that I highly recommend for you to get into 
in 2022. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have any questions about any of these sports, want to see any photos or videos for inspiration, do head over to uh, our Instagram. Uh, thank you, Shireen, for calling in. Uh, do be reminded that if ever you want to call in and ask your own questions uh, or share your own stories, it's a very, very easy uh, system. You just basically are on the on the call and, and listening to, to the podcast, and then you simply press uh, the button that says call in. And, uh, and there we go. And then we can start chatting about uh, everything. Everything and solve all the world's problems. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening in today. I look forward to continuing this podcast in 2022 with a good uh, three or four episodes every week. And um, we'll see you next time. Tomorrow I will have an episode doing an interview of uh, some interesting uh, characters here in Mexico. So stay tuned for that on my other podcast uh, called Perspectives. And uh, saying farewell on this very first day of 2022. I wish you all the best. We all got to be grateful for just being here and uh, having made it through that arduous year. And uh, we'll see you out on the water or up on the mountain or backcountry skiing, whichever it may be. Again, thanks for listening in. Expedition are out. See you tomorrow.